0: Hello all, Dinesh Khanna is a managing trustee of the Nazar Foundation and one of the co-founders of the Delhi Photo Festival. He was also a photography curator for the first two editions of the Serendipity Arts Festival. He is a director of the Drish Academy at Museo Camera and is also the visual consultant with Sahapedia, where he advises on the Sahapedia frames grant for cultural photography. He has done so much in his photographic career that it'll take a whole another podcast to just talk about it. But as an example, his third book, which was commissioned by the Rashtrapati Bhavan and Sahapedia, is about all aspects of the life and duties of the oldest regiment of the Indian army. It's called, Right of the Line, the President's Bodyguard. Following the success of which, he was then commissioned to work on the book, Life in Rashtrapati Bhavan which is his fourth photo book and was published in 2016. I have particularly been fascinated with his series about the chopping board and the beauty of the chopped vegetables of his kitchen which we do talk about in length but on the whole we sit here to talk about the role of photography in the 21st century and how it has been dealing with the superhighway that is social media and how the instant transmission of visuals has manipulated the world of photography. We also talk a little about the current state of art versus authority and if this battle is fundamentally perpetual. We later talk about the role of a father towards his children and its supervision on their individuality and then a little about fatherhood in the context of India. The conversation as you can see branches off into several different topics and one would expect no less from the monolith of experiences that is Dinesh. As a seeker and a learner myself, it was evident that Dinesh has some refined views on the workings of society and I personally got to learn a lot from him. I will try to get him on the podcast again because we still have much ground to cover. But until then, I hope you guys enjoy this because you're listening to the PS Podcast and I'm your host, Chaitanya. first of all welcome to the ps podcast dinesh i'm very very thankful uh, that you would take out your time to talk to me and i'm 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 hoping i'll as i saw your, some of your interviews and some of your, your talks that you gave and you showcased your work i was just blown away by the quality of photography that you have done. And it is not a joke because I too was a photography student and so I understand, I sort of understand uh, the plight of using film, the love also (laughs) but you know just the fact that how much hard work goes into it and then the post-processing is another task in itself, going to the location and we'll come to all those questions but but thank you first of all for agreeing Thank you
1: Chaitanya thank you for reaching out and I I must confess that I am one of the people who's been doing a lot of talks, uh, during this entire lockdown period Uh on various platforms. Uh, Mm -hmm. but in spite of that, this is the first time I'm doing a podcast. So I'm, you know, personally quite curious and fascinated by new technologies and new ways of communicating. So this is, you know, something which in a way I'm grateful to you for having reached out so I can do something different.
0: Um, I think you would be a better podcast host because the way you talk and the way I've seen you talk in your talks, you have a passion, you know, just the way you describe even making food. I know you have, a, you have a deep interest in the art of making food and, you know, displaying it and just the way you your response, your emotional response towards them, it just sounds so fascinating to hear. So maybe you can also sometime think about hosting a podcast of your own because I'm sure you have a lot of memories to share.
1: Maybe you've set me off on yet another journey. <laughs> and I shall, if I do that, I will make sure that I, you know, acknowledge the fact that it was Chatanya who showed me the light. <laughs>
0: I'm happy. Uh, I yeah. was, uh, this reminds me of that, uh, you know, in one of your talks, you mentioned something about Basuri Walas. Yeah, you said that, you know, you
1: find some people in your life and they are... It's actually uh, comes from something which Tarun Khiwal had talked about uh, in one of his talks. Okay. Uh, Tarun Kriwal, as you might know, mm-hmm. uh, is a very famous uh, fashion photographer. I would say really more of a people photographer mm-hmm. and who happens to do fashion also. Uh, what's very good about Tarun and which is what I admire about him besides his photographic uh, you know, skills and progress is the fact that he is very deeply rooted in his Indianness. Mm-hmm. And that's not just in his visuality and his visual sense, but also in his thinking. and uh, what he was talking about when this thing about the Bansiriwala came up is that, uh, you know, a lot of us people of my generation, and of course, Tarun is about 10 years younger than me, but, you know, he's also from the film era. At a time when there was no formal photography education available in India, so the main way to learn was to work as an apprentice with other senior photographers. And uh, Tarun had worked with a number of, you know, uh, photographers like Hardeep Singh and mm-hmm. Prabdas Gupta, etc. Uh, and he was talking in that context, and uh, he said, you know, that what we have to realize is that the it's not necessary that God comes into a life, or destiny comes into a life, a good fortune comes into life, the band Baja.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You never know when the Bansuriwala comes and in what form. Mm-hmm. Right, so he meant that his mentors were like the Bansriwala, Bansriwala of course, being Krishna in this case, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore God who has come to give him, you know, something which is valuable. So I have thereafter been using that phrase or that turn of phrase really every time I talk about people who have inadvertently or consciously or in which way, whichever way, but which I feel that they contributed great, a great deal to my life. Mm-hmm. Whether professionally or aesthetically or in any such way, uh, so that term Vansriwala came from one of their own stock and is something which I use now because I think it's, it's just so evocative. Mm, it's it so Indian. It's so rooted in you know the way we think and the way we live. Mm. Uh, so that's why I find that very interesting, and I and I, I really look at that. It's almost like a title, but in a very friendly sort of way. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I have very recently sort of refound or found for the first time my love for this country so as you said you know anything that resonates in an indian manner of course i try not to be very uh, too passionate about it that i go blind uh, with bias but uh, anything it, i'm just every aspect of this country is now impressing me day, day after day so
1: that's good i love to hear that yeah <laughs> I find that that is something which especially amongst our you know, educated and urban class, hmm. uh, it's seen more as uh, a badge to talk down about a country hmm. and its way of life hmm. uh, than to say, you know, and I, for instance, I don't you know, agree with anyone who says I'm proud to be an Indian or hmm. I'm proud to be a Hindu or I'm proud to be a Muslim hmm. because, you know, these are not things that you have achieved. These are hmm. things which you're born with. True. So acknowledge it, be aware of it, hmm. and be happy about it. Hmm. So this thing of being proud of being an Indian, I think, is, is, is a you know load of bullshit. Hmm. Uh, but the awareness of where I am from, hmm. what my roots are, and if you look at human life, it is a continuum from the time you're born and hmm. how you're brought up, where hmm. you're brought up, by whom you're brought up. You know all those experiences and all those influences is what make you as a person. Hmm. So if you're going to negate that or in any way shun that, uh, you end up in a way, you know, damaging yourself rather than anything else. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. But if you acknowledge that and start cherishing it, then they become inspirations for you. Yeah. And in a way, you as an individual become more complete. And mm-hmm. then what you do with it is up to you. But yeah. the sheer acknowledgement of it and awareness of it, where you come from, what your roots are, I feel is is absolutely vital. Thereafter, the world is your playground. Yeah? Then you do what you want. True. But don't don't negate or push away the fact where you come from.
0: Yeah, I think any sort of hardwired identity makes you sort of blind or biased. But as you yeah. said, that uh, acknowledging it and understanding it also it also raises awareness in your mind about about the potholes of that thing. You know, Absolutely. So yeah. I, it is not just to be proud of the country. If you're really proud of a country, you probably do something to improve it because none of the countries are, even the Scandinavian ones, none of them are uh, perfect as far as we can see.
1: But yeah. No country is perfect. No culture is perfect. No individual is perfect. But perfection anyway, I think is a, you know, is, is a very unfortunate kind of a goal which people think is worth living for. Hmm. I believe a great deal in imperfections because imperfections is about being human. Hmm. Uh, And it doesn't have to be imperfection doesn't mean there's something wrong or something evil or something missing. Hmm. It's just that things are more organic you know, rather than absolutely mechanical.
0: Also, uh, the thing that you said that no culture is perfect. Uh, One other thing that I find in that is also that people don't take the importance of time into that. You know, a culture might have been perfect for the setting of a particular time but if you try to reenact reimpose the same thing now and it goes for every culture it goes for every culture you know uh, if I try to sure. imp- impose the culture of social media in 1950s 1850s it probably wouldn't work out the way it is uh, doing right now so I think sure. I don't know how many of these things can a human keep in mind while thinking about these things because identity is a very important part of part of our being and uh,
1: no, see, identity becomes an is always an important mm. part. All right. Now it's up to the individual to acknowledge it, understand it, yeah. learn from it. Because only once you've gone through that process, and you are an IIT, and so I think you will understand what I'm saying. Will you be able to negate parts of it? Say because I don't think this is something shall I mm. or doesn't suit me in terms of what I want to do with my life. Mm. But if you don't go through that process and just blindly negate it because it's not cool yeah. or because it's seen as medieval or it's not seen as something which is modern, mm. then who's the loser? Yeah. I am the loser. Okay. Yeah. Fine.
0: So I was uh, listening to your talk and I found it very interesting that even your father was a photographer. Your mother also?
1: No, my mother wasn't, no.
0: Okay, so in one of the photos she's holding a camera. So I think I I suppose from
1: that. Well, I think she was, they, they were married just recently and she obviously was a, kind of, a you know, enthusiastic assistant for my father rather than trying to see the photographer herself. okay so have you ever pondered about
0: photography when your father did it photography when you did it or do it and photography when your daughters might do it have you have you you must have had that comparative thought and it can be a comparison of anything it could be about the technology or about the way the medium is treated so have you ever thought about that?
1: Uh, actually a fair amount, of course, not consistently, uh, but sporadically, uh, I would say it's more episodic rather than the fact that it's something which, you know, mm-hmm. weighs me down in terms of thinking, mm-hmm. uh, about my father. One of the things I like to say is that of course, he was a photographer, uh, mm-hmm. but he worked either in a studio or he worked with the American embassy. Mm-hmm. And it was only once he retired from there that he was very excited about. Uh, you know, doing freelance work and doing work which he wanted to do. Okay. But unfortunately, about a year and a half uh, after he retired, he died in a car crash. So he wasn't really able to quite live up to that dream which he had. Oh. And that's something which I always felt bad about him having missed that opportunity. Hmm. Uh, because I think for any creative person, irrespective of what your art is, whether it's photography or dance or music, uh, you don't have to be a professional but you have to be able to engage with it in a way that is very deeply personal mm-hmm. uh, and whether anyone else likes the output or not as long as you are able to you know live with it explore it and you know express with it that's what is the most important mm-hmm. so that was something which is always there in my mind that i wish my father had got a chance to do work with photography which he loved as a medium i know that for a fact and be able to explore it for himself personally. Mm. And I think that to some extent, probably, you know, colored my thinking in terms of how I would want to approach my photography, Mm. Uh, not entirely, but it was definitely one of the influences in terms of how I have engaged with photography over the last 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, my daughters, uh my elder daughter Myra is not in the least bit interested in photography she's interested in images uh my younger one has been uh and has a very good eye if i may say so myself but has chosen a path which is very different from photography she's you know doing a master's in international security and she's actually supposed to be in paris at the moment except because of the pandemic she's kind of locked down right here uh my elder daughter first became a diver became a diving instructor worked mm-hmm. that way for two years and is now for the last two years a yoga student and a teacher and she lives in my mm-hmm. and i must say nothing thrills me more than the fact that both my daughters are doing things which both me and my wife have no clue what they are mm-hmm. because i can't then dictate or influence them in terms of what they think about their chosen professions and that is something that I think is very important for parents to be able to understand and let go of, mm. uh, is to let your children, and please note, I'm mean not using the word allow because there's a word which a lot of parents use, that I allowed my children. Because my my contention for that always is, who are you to allow your children to do what mm. with their lives, alright? Uh, but yes, uh, Mahi, that's my younger one. She, does use the visual medium, though recent times more video than stills, uh, to record interesting things, to you know, record interesting moments, to say, and and that I think is, and we might talk about it later, mm-hmm. in more because the visual is a language today, uh, as much as Hindi and English and French and Spanish are, mm-hmm. uh, the current generation, or anyone who's living in today's world uses the visual whether still photography or the video as a means of communication as much as they use words in the spoken way mm. uh, and she, Mahi is very much into that, you know uh, so that's something I find quite exciting so if you see there's been a progression or a change from my father to me and onwards to my daughters mm. in terms of her engagement with the visual mm. and our personal engagement mm. because for me now this coming back to how i find my journey having been a bit different from my dad's and from my daughter's is that first i didn't want to be a photographer even though i loved it and was introduced to it by my dad while i was young hmm. but i didn't want to follow in his footpaths hmm. i didn't i felt that in india the caste system in you know make sure that uh, as a son you have to follow your father's profession if he's a businessman you look after the business if they have a factory you have to run it for them all that blah so it's almost like a rebellion that i will not be a photographer because my dad is one is the way i saw it in my early 20s okay. right and which is why then i spent about almost a dozen years in advertising uh, and that also the management client service inside but photography was something i loved and i came back to it uh, you know in my early 30s and took it on professionally so my initial year or two of being a professional photographer was to be an advertising photographer. Okay. Simply because I was from the advertising business. And the main application I'd seen of photography was as visuals for advertising. Okay. But very soon I realized that for me, photography was not just a professional choice, it is also a personal communication point. That I wanted to use it to explore how did that change come about? This, How did you realize that? Uh, again, partly to do with advertising, partly to do with what we spoke about earlier. Hmm. I feel that people like me, and I'm not going to include you, but uh, who are brought up in urban uh, spaces in India, mm-hmm. and I was brought up in Delhi, and I've worked in Delhi and Bombay in advertising. Uh, are allowed by a country which is, in that way, very strangely liberal, to live in our own bubbles. Hmm. Okay, okay. And whereas I am, people like me are, and our lives are real, but this is not reflective of all of India. Hmm. And I had, even in college and all, traveled a bit and knew that there were, you know, many Indias which, you know, coexisted in the rest of our country. Okay. And I was always very curious to see, what are these Indians? Which are mine, because they are part of my country, but Mm -hmm. which I don't belong to. Mm -hmm. Right? So I wanted to use photography as my means of exploring those Indians and expressing about them through my photographs. So that was my personal twist with photography. And my professional, of course, is to do the kind of work which you know I've seen being done because of my advertising background. And I, I take that also as a big challenge because I love working with people as a part of a team, working to a brief, you know, producing pictures which have a particular, you know, objective. Uh, so that's the advertising and professional part, which is the way I've been doing my photography professionally for the last 30 or years. Mm-hmm. But simultaneously and consistently along with that has been what I call my personal passion, mm-hmm. which is photography for exploring my country, my people, my cultures, and whatever I see around me, life really in general. So that's been my journey, as opposed to the way my dad was, uh, mm. and the way I see my daughter's uh, engagement with uh, photography or the visual world. Uh,
0: so you uh, sort of started telling me about the the time that you started in photography. Uh, but uh, one question I always had because my father was also a photographer is also a photographer and mm-hmm. I, I never aimed to go into photography myself but somehow I ended up on, in it but that is a different story and uh, what did it mean because I was seeing your images you did for I think Tamil Nadu tourism where yes. uh, yeah you were going around Tamil Nadu what did it mean to be on assignment in those days uh, I am not talking about the professional aspect of it but you know uh, i also shot for sahapedia right mm. and oh, okay. uh, my whereabouts yes of course yeah 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 my whereabouts were known to my family uh, mm. i was mm. somehow like sporadically updating instagram as well mm. but i'm sure in your time you have no way to communicate constantly to your Not family at all. You yeah, know, you, yeah. when you're out you're out and mm. the most important part is you don't know what you're shooting the mm. thing is that you cannot confirm what you're shooting once you've shot it so yeah, can you tell yeah. me what it meant to be on assignment at that time?
1: So first, let me tell you what it means to not know what we're shooting. Okay. You know, the Tamil Nadu tourism uh, assignment was a 30 day long, one month long assignment where we had to go to, we were traveling right through the state and shooting all places of interest, archaeological and you know, cultural and religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and we, we were obviously shooting on film, but this is in the early 90s. Okay. And... What that meant was that you spend 30 days, and I think I forget how many dozen rolls of film I shot, without being able to see a single frame of what you'd shot. So that is the difference between film photography and mm. digital. Mm. Digital, with every frame, you have the option of being able to see it instantly, even almost as you shoot. Mm. Whereas uh, when you're doing assignments in the film era, mm. till the assignment is over, and you had either come back from the studio or from wherever you've traveled and send the film to the lab, which then would take two days to process the film and then send it back to you. You didn't have a clue. And the only thing you could rely on is one, your expertise and mm-hmm. God knows God <laughs> luck, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but what that did was that it made you very cautious. It slowed you down, Hmm. you thought, and you engaged with the entire process of engaging with light, Hmm. engaging with composition, engaging with your subject, Hmm. and engaging with the chemistry of photography Hmm. to make sure that what you had photographed would be what you intended it to be. Hmm. There was no visual evidence you could have till such time as the film was processed and sent back to you which in cases like this kind of assignment where you were out in the field for days or weeks together, it could mean that you've already been through the entire process before even seeing a single frame. Yeah. So if I may just carry on this point uh, uh, a little bit more. Yeah. In essence, what happened was that you, while you were learning how to deal with film, hmm. okay, which is the chemistry of film. The physics of light, all mm-hmm. right, The biology of people, mm-hmm. and the maths of exposure. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is again. Is I am great at stealing people's ideas and using them in my own talks. Okay. This is another photographer who said that you know, there was the PCBM of photography when okay. the film era was there. So you have okay. to understand these four things
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, before you could say that you have mastered photography. Yeah none of these especially the chemistry part is required Mm. anymore true okay and with film there were no erasers what you shot at that instant when you press the shutter got imprinted on the celluloid Mm. and that was it Mm. you didn't have any post-processing lightroom photoshop what have you to correct things for you or erase things for you Mm. so the discipline it brought to you and it taught you to slow down, is something which the promiscuity of digital, and I use the word very carefully, uh, is where it really differs from an earlier era and the current era. Hmm. Uh, there's no price to pay with digital. Yeah. With film photography, every time you click the shutter, you spend money. Yeah. Because so you spend money on the film, you spend money on the processing, and if you were shooting slide, which I was, for instance, you're spending money on getting it mounted and what have you.
0: Especially with the number of photographs that were available in one reel, we didn't even talk about that.
1: Absolutely, There's thirty-six are in a roll, but that you can say, okay, you no, know, you could have any number of rolls, whatever it is, mm-hmm. which your focus can't because it costs a lot of money.
2: Yeah.
1: With digital, once you bought a camera, conceptually you don't have to spend any of that more. On photography
2: because
1: hmm. so you can keep clicking and just looking at the photographs and you don't need to make prints you can just put them on your computer take a look at them share them on instagram share them on facebook you know make a website it doesn't cost you anything hmm. so that filter in a way has gone away hmm. because when there's a cost involved there's a value involved too hmm. so which probably is led to this entire you know tornado of photography and photographs today in which good photographs tend to get lost you know rather than the other way around it's so that's what i mean you know so being on assignment you were on edge in a positive sort of way because at any given time you were working with your accumulated knowledge your accumulated experiences and your accumulated skill to make sure that the photograph you're taking which you will not see right away came out perfectly Um, i think
0: uh, the fact that taking photos got incredibly cheaper and then it sort of fused with the ability to share it almost instantly yeah. that has created this super highway of information and uh, uh, of course uh, if if there were less people sharing the work there was i, do, I don't know i might be wrong regarding it there was hmm. a chance of photographs being seen of people stopping and actually looking at a photograph and i'm sure i'm sure that is the case uh,
1: there again, if I may explain that how it's yeah. you know deferred. Uh, yeah. When one shot on film,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because you couldn't see the image instantly, because you had to process it,
2: hmm.
1: and then let's say if you were shooting color negative or black and white, you had to make a print.
2: Hmm.
1: Now you couldn't make a print of everything which you shot because not all of it was perfectly exposed, or perfectly controlled, etc. So you had to first go through the process of finding the right pictures and making those prints. Now the print is a physical thing. Hmm. Now you also must remember there was no internet at that time. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So the physical print, how many people could you show it to? A few other yeah. photographer friends, Yeah. a few other friends, family members. Okay. Yeah. Firstly, to find other people, other than your clients would be interested would be, you know, very small in number. So it was only people who were interested in photography and therefore your photographs. So, then the other avenues were having an exhibition. Mm. They weren't that many galleries and then mm. to mount an exhibition cost a lot of money because you have to make fancy prints, you have to make, you know, frame them or, you know, hire the gallery, etc. Mm. Or the other medium would be if you're a journalist or an advertising photographer that your work was used in magazines, either as editorial, you know, part of editorial or as part of mm. an advertising campaign. Mm. So that was one way that it would be shared with the world or it was in the form of a book. Hmm. So, the reason I'm laboring over explaining all these is that each of these were still limited avenues. Yeah. yeah, And limited to an extent where you knew exactly where they were going, or largely yeah. where they were going. Yeah. You would know who would come to the gallery. You would yeah. know how, who could afford to buy an expensive photography book. You would know the kind of person who would be buying an India today or a Dharam Yoga, you know. Hmm. Whereas today, like you rightly said, along with digital came the internet. Hmm. So the ease with which you can take a photograph is the fruit of the digital technology where you don't really need to even engage with understanding what you're doing in terms of the Hmm. technology because the technology takes care of all that Hmm. and the instant gratification of seeing the picture yourself and sharing it in the next instant online. Hmm. So, each of the other things is telling word film in a way, you know, I had to convince someone to do a show of mine in a gallery. Hmm. Today I can have a virtual photography show. The minute I put my pictures on Instagram, it's a show hmm. because potentially that picture is available for anyone in the world to see who signed into Instagram. Yeah. So that's a, that's a huge, huge difference. So what that has done is, it's in a way degraded the value
2: hmm.
1: of that exposure,
2: hmm.
1: because exposure today potentially is available to you, not in a few hundreds or a few dozens, is potentially available to you in millions.
0: Yeah. So you, you've just you've just opened so many important threads. Uh, I'll try to reel them in one by one because all of them are very important right now. Mm -hmm. And I've been having some thoughts of my own also during when you were speaking. So one Mm -hmm. thing was that there was a lot of effort from the photographer, right? Mm -hmm. But there was effort from the viewer also. If I'm coming to your gallery to see the exhibition, Mm -hmm. there is an effort that I I have put into it. So I would expect to take something out of it Mm -hmm. if I'm buying that book. I will stop, I will sit and I will actually try to understand what the artist is trying to say right. or what he or she would have intentionally or inten- unintentionally captured. Right. So in one, one space, the efforts have reduced to almost nothing be- uh, because if you just want to share it at the end of the day, you can, in WhatsApp, you don't even need to take a photo first. It, it already has a camera button in it. Yeah. Uh, same with Instagram. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the viewer also, uh, their effort has also almost gone because there is a- absolutely no kami of mm-hmm. images that they can see. True. Uh, uh, when you said that the visual is also a language, mm-hmm. I'm wondering whether the visual language, I don't want to say power, mm-hmm. but uh, in the case of vi- the visual language, do you think that it has to be something that catches the viewer's attention? at least for a second or two seconds. Whereas in earlier, you could take your time because the viewer would try to find what he was saying if they, if they initially did not get it.
1: Okay. Uh, so I might now end up expanding this even more. So okay. watch out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, with film, because there was so much deliberateness in the creation of the image, hmm. then the selection of how to share it, and inherent in that was who you're going to be sharing with or hope to be sharing with, right? So that was a pretty closed uh, box. Uh, a lot of people do also call that a very elitist box. Okay. And the reason it was probably so is because photography was an expensive medium to work with. Hmm. So either you were rich or you were a professional. Hmm. Uh, the ordinary layperson could only use film to shoot the child's you know birthday party and shoot five frames of that maybe Hmm. Uh, or a particular holiday which is taken once a year and you do family pictures etc but using photography for literally minute by minute expression of what's going on with my life was impossible for most people Hmm. all right so that's one huge shift which has happened and which is why I say that, you know, the visual today is today's language is because the ease with which you can use it and the uh, inexpensiveness of the use allows me, like, for instance, I learned how to speak when I was a child. Now, when I'm using these words, I don't have to pay anyone. There's no royalty. Mm-hmm. There's no technology I need to use, right? Mm-hmm. I can use five words. or I can use 50 to say the same thing. It's not costing me time or effort or money mm. okay except where it differs from anyone else using the same words and me is my articulateness and also my creativity mm. right that has not changed similarly for photography for the person who is creating great images and using the visual to say something pointedly creatively provocatively or whichever way they were still remains the same Hmm. Hmm. except today because it's not costing like words are not costing anything taking a picture not costing anything too many people are being able to use it Hmm. so which is contributed to the deluge and the drowning of the meaningful images which probably that multitude who's used contributing to the deluge were anyway, not interested in looking at that meaningful image. Hmm. So I don't, if I am into the business of meaningful images, actually don't need to worry about it being drowned as long as the audience, which I want is still out there and I can engage with them. Hmm. And I can.
0: Uh, that's a uh, very, very, you know, fantastically said and,
1: so, there is this saying,
0: right, that if nobody saw it happen, did it, did it actually happen? Uh-huh. So, I love that uh, phrase. Yeah, so, unless your the, your creativity of language or your articulation of language is actually validated by someone, by hearing it, yeah. it doesn't matter what you speak, uh-huh. right? Now, you're saying that until and unless you
1: have yeah, your it audience. It does matter what you speak, except it doesn't impact what you speak. I mean, there's a difference there. Uh, okay. It okay. matters to the, me. Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. It's part of the communication cycle. Is the person who creates that message, as much as the person who receives the message.
0: But wouldn't the uh, feedback loop uh, also? For example, you said something beautiful, but you made a mistake in that, and there is nobody to. I'm not talking about validation, but now there is nobody to point it out. Also, Mm. so that that is also a recursive process. I, I would think that, of course, it matters to the individual themselves. Uh, but that that process of validation also makes you understand of what might be lacking or what might have been done correctly.
1: I absolutely so. agree with that hundred percent and my advertising background kicks in uh, with that for mm. instance, which is that there's no point creating a you know great ad unless someone is inspired by my message and goes out mm. and buys or you know whatever mm. uh, so i I am fully in tune with that and I'm fully in agreement with that. Mm. The only distinction I'm trying to make is that My process of creation of Mm. a message or a photograph or a novel or a Mm. piece of dance is not necessarily and should not be colored by who's going to see it. Mm. Mm. I would still do that process in its entirety for myself. Mm. Because otherwise, if I'm gonna keep worrying about will I have an audience, you know, will I have a buyer, you know, will someone buy take my print? Will anyone you know. Like what I put onto Instagram, mm. then I am in a way letting that influence my creative process. True, true. And what I want to express. Do true. I want to do that? Maybe I do in some mm. cases. But there are other cases where I would rather keep it to the purity of my own thought. So, so okay. I agree, the communication cycle is complete only once someone creates a message, someone mm. receives a message, and someone responds to the message. Mm. You know that response is as important as having received the message mm-hmm. but each of these individual uh you know elements of the cycle do exist in the entirety mm-hmm. that's the only point i'm trying to make
0: even furthering that point itself, I did not want this to be about <laughs> photography the whole conversation, but I, I'm very happy because uh, I'm also able to articulate my own thoughts about it and I'm able to, as we said, verify... And if all... I may inter-
1: in- interrupt for yeah. just a second, I'm not talking about photography. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, language. We, we could, could be talking about dance. Yeah, yeah. My wife is a uh, Kathak dancer. She does Riyadh three, to- three hours a day. Okay. Whether she has a show coming up or not, she'll do it because she enjoys and she thinks she owes it to herself and to her craft
0: so uh, again i also agree exactly with all of that that you have said would you if if i try to you know force you to reflect on on your own experience and how your own work ethic and your own dedication towards art uh, would you start observing some sort of bias in that? Now I'll try to expand on it. Okay, I I have a habit of using very crude words, and mm. then you No, it's so good. I'm a Punjabi,
1: yeah. so I don't. I,
0: I <laughs> the conversation <laughs> goes in some other direction that I normally intend to, but I hope I can justify what I'm trying to say here. Mm. Uh, right now, the social media handle that I use, Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. I have completely filled it. I have changed its name. It is not even my name. It is the podcast's name. I just mm-hmm. update the podcast ke updates. But mm-hmm. before that, it was a uh, photography handle. Uh, mm-hmm. I also used to love, I still do, uh, shooting photographs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I started observing was that the photographs that got good reception mm-hmm. and the photographs that didn't get good reception, my mm-hmm. habit of mm-hmm. shooting mm-hmm. inadvertently started shifting towards what was being received well okay? mm,
2: Absolutely,
0: and now yeah. secondly on the other hand this is all in the uh, let's say in the power of the individual who is doing it okay? mm. but on the other hand the platform that you are using Instagram or any sort of social media mm. their core is to uh, promote engagement as mm. long as the viewer can engage with it sure. so, so any person who updates you know, 100 insta stories in a day Mm. Or, you know, any sort of language that, as I said, gets abruptly catches the eye, you know, it could be nudity, it -hmm. could be something radically polarizing, those Mm. things, just because of the habit of the viewers on uh, statistically, you know, people engage with that more. So Mm. Instagram and social media promotes that. Mm. So what ends up happening is, as an individual who's learning any sort of language, and by, Mm. by language, we are referring to any sort of art form. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start seeing that okay, my this work did not uh, get that much validation or any sort of reception or response or engagement, but mm-hmm. that the other one where I actually put a photo of my own girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, that sort of got a little more. So let me try more with that. Mm-hmm. Now you have the freedom, power, and resilience to mm-hmm. have grown up in a or you know practiced your art form in a time where it did not where it was not pushing you. Mm -hmm. in certain directions Mm -hmm. you know those directions might be there for their own uh, reasons some other some other uh, directions that the time might push you towards Mm -hmm. but this time a person who's trying to find their art would they end up having the resilience that you have right now you know to be true to their art form sorry for such a long question (laughs) but thank you so actually what you've
1: done is in a more i would say contemporary way you explain what i was just talking about earlier uh and now, let me try and decode it for you. Okay. You're confusing Instagram with photography. Okay, yeah. Instagram Fine. is a place, is a mela. Hmm. Aur us mele. And in that mele, we take different things to show, I've made this, you've made this, you've made this. You can do this. You know?
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, which can be great photographs, or it can be just experiences or moments and memories. Hmm. Okay, whereas photography, and which is why I repeated myself at least twice, if not more, that the communication cycle has three parts to it. Hmm. And the first part is the creative process, which is a lonely, individualistic, selfish, personal part. Hmm. Where I create only because I want to. Hmm. Without keeping in mind what my audience will be, what they will expect of me. And what they will want of me Hmm. but once i put whatever i've created to the best of my ability or my you know inspiration or my choice whatever it is out in the public Hmm. then i i am of the belief that it doesn't belong to me anymore at least not alone okay that that work also belongs as much to the beholder Hmm. Hmm. to interpret or experience Or encounter in ways which they are coming to it Hmm. with their own set of biases, interferences, influences, and what have you.
2: Hmm. All right? Hmm. So
1: that Mm -hmm. can coincide with what I put put into my piece of work Hmm. entirely, partly, or not at all. Hmm. All right? And then the response of that person to whatever they have decoded or whatever I have created and put out in the public will come back to me either in the form of a comment, since we're still talking about Instagram or a like or whatever, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which can be extremely inadequate if the person is not understood. And it doesn't mean that the work was bad. It is just that the person doesn't know where you were coming from. Right? Mm. So there you need to have enough confidence in yourself, and I don't mean confidence in terms of arrogance, but mm. confidence in knowing what you are doing and what you want to do, mm. uh, irrespective of the quality, but at least the content. Mm. Do not get discouraged. It's For instance, if I was to do a you know, photograph of something in Banaras, which only people who have been there can understand mm-hmm. and especially if it has any kind of cultural overthrow. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine who happens to be from Finland sees it on Instagram mm-hmm. and has no context. Mm-hmm. And therefore has no response. Mm-hmm. At best, or says, Oh my god, all I can see is dirt in the gully of foreign sea.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, or whereas actually what those are flowers which had been, you know, put onto a deity, which I understand. Mm-hmm but he doesn't you know so there's there a lot of such things which there's much layering which goes into communication hmm. uh, which is why I think it's not just in a straightforward formula here uh, and where both the process the means and the means in this case the process is my thinking and my feeling the hmm. means is photography and the hmm. arena is Instagram hmm. are separate from each other hmm. So one has to have the maturity to understand that, to be able to actually be able to continue to work with it and not be in any way disheartened or discouraged or influenced, uh, which is not to say that, you know, I, I don't like likes. I love likes. Yeah. Hmm. Because to me, it means that the person actually noticed something I them, Right. But does that mean that I will only shoot those kind of photographs? Maybe over a period of time, it does tend to influence what I'll post in Instagram Hmm, hmm. but will it influence what I shoot and how I shoot I don't think so because then then I have to be very strong in my uh, understanding of my medium and my engagement with my subject Hmm. and I'm taking that for granted for an artist I would take that for granted Hmm. it's like you're the IIT and you're a scientist and you take it for granted that you are in there for the pure science and not just the application of that becoming an iPod
0: I, I would agree that I, I did make the mistake of confusing the, the art form or photography in this case with Instagram. that, that is true. Uh, however I'm I'm still confused regarding we you definitely and even me to some extent still treat Instagram as an exhibition platform.
1: Where well, it is. It absolutely it is. is. I'm it not is correct. in a way yeah. denying that. Yes. Except that I will, I will, you know, I will expand that word slightly. It's not an exhibition platform; it's an exhibitionist platform.
0: Yes, correct. Uh, but I have seen a lot, and I, I'm sure it can be supported by data that youngsters who are now coming up this world they are hyper socialized because of apps like these. So that is why I always that is why I made uh, photography and Instagram synonymous because. I don't honestly I don't think there is any other avenue left which can uh, and we can of course argue about that but all my friends who are even working in Mumbai right now they shoot Mm -hmm. celebrities even they said that you know none of the clients none of my friends have the time to go to my website to even check out a project that
1: I might have done of course yeah yeah. that's very unfortunate but that's a fact
0: that's a fact right and uh, I'm just trying to understand the state of Will we, okay, so I'll just
1: move on to my next question because that but is Before you move again, on to your next question, let me just yeah. say once again that okay. photography as an art form or as a craft is different from exhibiting visuals on Instagram. Hmm. Okay, because there is social factor there, especially the part which you were talking about in the end, but hmm. how people are you know talk, are using Instagram to talk about the moods and to you know, share hmm. whatever they're going through. Uh, it happens to be said in a visual and i'm very constantly if you see keep using the word visual as opposed to photograph okay mm-hmm. as much as and now let me give you another analogy here before we move on mm-hmm. all of us earlier used the, the analogy of words and spoken word now let me mm-hmm. talk to the written word mm-hmm. almost everyone on instagram is also can write yeah has a keyboard or a pen or whatever it is that they used to write, True. but none of them claim True. to be writers, you know? True. Whereas anyone who happens to have a camera, which happens to be in every bloody phone today, mm-hmm. whether they're claiming to be photographers or not, but by being seen as photographers, why? So that is a distinction I'm able to make because I am a photographer. Mm-hmm. All right. And I therefore don't call everyone else a photographer just because they happen to have a, I call them camera owners.
0: But doesn't it have doesn't it have tangible effects on reality as well? You know, I would as a business owner, if uh, if a photographer has let's say fifty thousand followers,
1: but as a photographer, I won't take I can't take responsibility for all that. Now, that's a social thing which is happening. Of course, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. It's 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 got nothing to the craft. There's a societal change which has happened because of the ease with which people are able to pull that that's out, mm-hmm. which is more to do with Instagram rather than the fact about photography. True instagram promotes the use of visuals to depict what i'm feeling for the moment Mm -hmm. let's take that as the given that is not necessarily a photograph in my sense in my way of thinking Hmm. it's a visual tool Mm -hmm. taking a picture of that hamburger which i'm eating in narulas and saying you know wow, this is i'm loving it is not photography it's sharing of a moment and where I'm using the visual language very fluently. Mm-hmm. So, in my head, there's a very clear distinction between being an artist, photographer, mm-hmm. and being a person who is fluent in the visual language and and speaks with it. And which is what you know, platforms like, especially like Instagram, not so much Facebook, but Instagram definitely is entirely a visual platform. Uh- do you
0: not feel it is influencing the world of art or photography? No, it's not. It's not.
1: It can, but it's, you know, the, for the people who take the photography seriously, Mm -hmm. use this as a platform to communicate with the larger world or the people they want to communicate with, Mm -hmm. but are not getting influenced by the number of people who respond to those photographs because they also, I would imagine, Mm -hmm. uh, like me have another ecosystem in which they're sharing that work which is yes, more critical yes. because if you're doing only in Instagram, then I'm sorry, you're not a photographer. You're a visual, you know, a communicator. And in my head, there's a very, very distinct difference between the two. So in that
0: manner also, as you said, right, you have a certain avenue where, you know, it is much better. The work is scrutinized as the art that itself is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, call it have... art.
1: I'm calling it communication. There's a difference.
0: Uh, I'm talking about photography itself okay I'm not talking about Instagram right now I'm All talking right. about okay. you know Sorry, our, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, an art piece that you might have created photography that you might have created you have a circle oh, who will true. sit around or once you share them you'll get a good you get an actual response mm-hmm. regarding the effort that you might have put in mm-hmm. uh, I think I think I've <laughs> dragged this co- <laughs> this topic for too long <laughs> but okay okay fine but I have another example if, if you are if you want to uh, here
1: it
0: yeah, is. yeah, sure, sure, sure. Okay, so there was this person who who taught us photography in NID. Okay, he mm-hmm. came as an external, and mm-hmm. he took a two-week workshop, and we had massive respect for him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Uh, then a few days back, I called him uh, mm-hmm. for for the uh, for inviting him as a podcast guest itself. Right. Uh-huh. And <laughs> he tells me that Chetanya, a lot problem I I'm trying to search for work. I'm not getting any because uh-huh. uh, the difference of payment that I am the difference of payment between me and a person that I have taught right now mm-hmm. is not more than thousand rupees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it is it is getting extremely troublesome mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to focus on my art. And I, I'm not just making these words up. I am <laughs> honest to God because... No, no. I know.
1: I, I keep hearing
0: that myself. Yeah. So, uh, he was so that is what I'm, I was actually concerned about. That is it, is the, uh, the oppression of social media and, you know, people who are uh, who have a sort of a stronghold there are getting yeah. more tangible work of the real world and then that work reflects whether you're a published photographer or not uh, and then that uh, converts the world of photography itself so
1: that is the thing okay. so about. Yeah. you know the downfall of photography and I'm again using that word very carefully mm-hmm. the downfall of photography started with the digitalization of photography mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah. and the fault doesn't lie in digital it lies in the ease with which yeah. photography yeah. can be done True. Okay, which was laboring the point over the discipline and the you know the ECBM which you had to mm-hmm. have with the with film photography mm-hmm. because people didn't stray into that you know you had to be committed to it yes. both in terms of uh, you know sense of creativity and equally if not more importantly in terms of being able to financially support that habit mm-hmm. it was probably more you know expensive than if you got hooked onto cocaine or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. whereas with digital the entire rigor of creating that image is actually evaporated you can go through the rest of your life with a digital camera all right without really knowing or having to bother about how it works and your camera's software and the software which is available to you on your phone or in your laptop will help you make 99% of the time competent photographs as opposed to creative photographs now what has happened is because there is a multitude and deluge of images being created with great ease that the person who's a buyer and supposedly a you know a critical eye of photographer a validator basically of has has got diluted you know, hmm. hmm. and what it makes it worse is the use of that photograph has been reduced to early it was it will come as a double spread in the india today magazine once every month yeah. today the client also just wants a photograph which will be his nose will be seen for two seconds on instagram True. So they're saying why do i need that kind of skill and that kind of inputs and those kind of you know uh, infrastructure Mm -hmm. to be able to create that Mm photograph let me do it too cheaply Mm -hmm. you know i'll give you a a personal example this is something which i realized about 10 or 12 years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, i was uh, gone for a meeting with one of one agency our director and the client service and people to someone who was starting a new restaurant Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. and while we were sitting and discussing there this person who owned that restaurant, told the client servicing person, Are yaar, you know, my son has a very, I just bought him a new DSLR. So does that degrade photography as a commercial proposition enormously, hmm. Hmm. but as an art form? No, it doesn't. Hmm. it still does not mean that everyone is able to create that great photograph it's just that the expectations from photography have fallen abysmal so again i mean i can very clearly see this in my mind and uh, the fact that it has impacted photography very badly Mm -hmm. is a reality Mm -hmm. but which still does not mean that millions of people are shooting great photographs it's just that mediocre photographs are also accepted because the expectation of use of that photograph is very minimal Mm. a brand's entire personality does not depend on it anymore Whereas that one photograph in an advertising campaign meant it was a brand's face Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. today it's required for that two seconds uh, on instagram for a person to hopefully halt and you know like and then move on
0: so one shift was the uh, the technological shift right where uh, it it went from the pcmb that as you very i'll be using this from yeah. now on okay <laughs>
1: so, Please do yeah. that's again a borrowed term and i thought it was brilliant yeah so the and pe- brilliant ideas are the ones which travel yes
0: <laughs> okay that's that's again beautiful so the one shift was where it changed from pcmb to let's say only e that is electronic and uh, the second shift was the this super highway of information in social media yeah yeah uh, so,
1: uh, you know, photography was hit with a double whammy in a, yeah, a decade, yeah, yeah. as much as, and the only other art form which has been as impacted is music. Yeah. Because music also earlier required a lot of riyaz, a lot of commitment to be able to master that one instrument or your voice box. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it's that drums so whether it's that guitar, which you spend years trying to master, mm-hmm. it's all there in one... I don't even know what the hell those things are called, those keyboard or whatever the damn thing is. Yeah. And if you see the quality of music therefore which is produced and the fact that no one needs to pay for it anymore, technology has has you know driven music to mediocrity as it's driven photography to mediocrity.
0: At least music is not uh, vulnerable to sexuality or I don't know what would have happened. Uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, something about the sexual nature of the visual really attacks mm. the primal uh, being you know, of the viewer because right now mm. if I'm viewing a photograph I'm not viewing it on a wall somewhere so in my own yeah. privacy I can actually spend a lot more time on a photo of a, let's say a girl who's scantily clad and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm talking about the masses here I'm not talking about the individual yeah. so at least uh, music cannot use that uh, as something to move forward uh, mm-hmm. But but I must say that there are some some incredible music artists who are f- completely electronic. But I get your point, what you're saying.
1: Uh, no, as as much as like I'm saying, they're incredible photographers use uh, digital cameras. Yeah yeah yeah. True. I'm not for a moment saying that only people who are still working with film are incredible photographers. No. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the point I'm making, and please, I, let me just make that very clearly now, mm-hmm. is this the content mm-hmm. and the thought and the idea and the concept. Of the creator Mm. which is important and then the mastery of the craft. But first is what my heart and my mind is doing. Mm -hmm. Which is true as much for a musician as it's for a photographer. And that is where the difference lies and if I may and this is again something which I've been saying and which is seen as very politically incorrect. Mm -hmm. Any art form needs to be elitist. Mm. The day an art form becomes democratic is that it's fucked. Because any art form, and I don't know if you can use that term, you might, you can, you know, erase it if you want, mm-hmm. but I couldn't find anything more eloquent to... It's like, my own podcast. That is why I'm not associated with anyone. I don't have to listen to anyone <laughs> <laughs> of what I can cannot put here. Is, you know, any art form yeah. for its practitioners needs heroes. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. You need people to look up to. You need people who you inspire to be like. Hmm. You need to look at people's work, which you say if not do that work but be like that yeah. you know which pushes you yeah. but the minute you say that it's a democratic art form which means anyone can do it that's the end of it and i have had this discussion and argument with a lot of my photographer friends mm. who say you know that oh, photographers today are democratic art form so it's a great i think that's what killed it mm.
0: that's just so beautifully put i'm so thankful that you actually said it out loud because you would, when when you when the first time you were talking about pcmb right the, then yeah. you talked about how it became digital i was going to interrupt you and i was going to ask you whether it is a good thing for photography itself that everyone can access it mm-hmm. and uh, i think you no, it's not. yeah you've answered it very well uh, on the same line uh, i have also i have, i have also asked this to a lot of people uh, almost all the guests that i have because they are from mm-hmm. a certain profession or not I was talking to Krishnendu, who is a forest conservation activist, uh, and we were talking about how a person should be aware of uh, the problems going on in the forest and they should be sensitive to those topics. And then I asked him Mm. that, and you have already uh, iterated this point initially, that there is a certain privilege required to be from that Mm. art form to even appreciate Mm. it. Uh, If... I had you know Mary Bihenki Shadi Hoti and uh, I did not mm-hmm. have a job. I would I wouldn't have the time to appreciate a photograph, stop and appreciate So no uh, I understand mm-hmm. that there are certain pioneers to over whom this art form can be interested upon. But then again mm-hmm. the democratic aspect of his, of it is removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that that certain privilege is required uh, you know to practice an art form because of course time is required and time itself is a certain privilege that only a few people have. Uh, I'm not. I'm not asking whether it is good or bad. Okay, th- everything is gray here, but uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: You know, I will keep going back to the point, and I'll use the analogy of writing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: music, and photography. Mm-hmm. Okay, because these are three things today which anyone can do, mm-hmm. but can anyone do it well enough to impress anyone else? Is the point. Okay. 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 And that is where the difference lies. Hmm. Can I you know all of us had know the words. Hmm. Can I string them together in a sentence and thereafter into a paragraph and thereafter into a short story or a novel hmm. in a way that I can hold someone's attention hmm. and want to stay with that story. Hmm. You know, or am I able to sing in a way that I get a person to stick with me for three and a half minutes till the same song ends? Hmm. As much as will a person look at my photograph, whether it's for those two seconds or five seconds or, you know, go through the various layers I supposedly put into that photograph or meaning, mm-hmm. uh, is the point. Uh-huh. Because each of these art forms are actually crafts and today are easily available to anyone. Hmm. Okay. Speaking and writing is something which, you know, simple education has given us for generations. Photography digital has allowed for everyone to use, Hmm. but the ability to be able to see the difference between the creative use of any of these media or these crafts, as opposed to the general use or the democratic use is very clear in the minds of people who are creators as opposed to users. Hmm.
0: Actually, why I asked about privilege and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the other things that we have been talking right now about was because as you were saying that if you can be that good uh, to, you know, master the craft or master the art or master in Mm -hmm. the sense, at least spend some time to even start practicing or even to have a vision that, okay, I will, if, if I'm playing the flute, I will give some time to it to better it. And just giving time for practice itself is a privilege that not a lot of people have. Uh, I often tell people that I went to NIT, it was not because I'm talented. It is because I had had the resources uh, in money as well as time to actually care about something like photography. That is not important at all uh, in terms of survival. Mm. I came to IIT not because I'm only talented or not because I'm talented, but probably because I had the time to prepare for it that not a lot of people have.
1: Uh, so that that is why I was asking that. No, that, that, that point about privilege, to from that point of view, I can understand. Uh, you know, the privilege, of course, also then extends all the way back to the what kind of school you were sent to, what your upbringing was. You know, all those things come into play. Yeah? So it's not even just exclusively about a particular art form or a craft. Mm. It's about the entire package of what the person is about. I mean, it's, you know, as opposed to someone who was born in India and born in Japan. Yeah, mm. you know, so we extend it all the way backwards. No?
0: Dinesh, I had 13 questions written here. We've done two out of them. <laughs> so, uh, what I'll do is I'll just skip all the photography questions now because I, was, I really wanted to talk to you something other than photography. But uh, I'm happy uh, on the route that we took to get till here. So, so what do you find so beautiful about the kitchen? One, one recurring motif that I've seen on Instagram as well as in your talks that you're very mm. appreciative of all the things going on in the kitchen.
1: It comes from two things, uh, really, uh, and uh, you'll be surprised with the part of my answer now. Okay. Uh, food is something which, you know, being a good Punjabi, I've always loved. Mm-hmm. Okay, good food is something which is, you know, inherent in our culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, whether it's Punjabi or you know, Indian, whatever it is, or just being human is one part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's one is the eating of food and the taste and everything. The other is a visual per- being a visual person for me the color and the texture and the tonalities of food items mm-hmm. both in their raw form and in their cooked form mm-hmm. and their presentation mm-hmm. is something which is a huge turn on
0: okay
1: right so that's that's my visual interpretation of my vis- visual interaction with something which I'm inherently in love with mm-hmm. right which is the eating of the food mm-hmm. uh, and. In the last 30 years of being a professional photographer food photography probably for partly because of this reason and partly because of the way my business has gone mm. has been a very large part of my uh, professional career mm. so in effect i've had a chance to work with some great food stylists and great chefs you know great restaurants and you know they've very interesting preparations uh, great presentations you know the whether it was the ambience whether it's food was structured and displayed all that so it's it's that has really in a way uh refined my sense of food mm. okay uh, so that's one part of it then what you are referring to which is in recent times i've been putting out photographs just shoot in the phone uh of what i call small tales from a kitchen table mm-hmm. uh which i do on instagram and which actually is my appreciation of the lady who works in my house her name is jaya okay she cooks for us but the way she cuts the vegetables and places them on that one chopping board and each of this photograph the canvas is always that same chopping board. <laughs> oh, wow. it's done so graphically and so neatly and so vividly mm-hmm. in you know, different days that it's my engagement with that as a visual person oh i am not cutting the vegetables i am not setting them up they are actually candid photographs It's the one which you know catches my eye the day i've gone into the kitchen and say ah uh, she does i know the fact that she finds it really interesting and intriguing that you know and i am the kind you know i photograph my children i photograph my dogs Mm -hmm. i photograph the the light falling on the staircase and the vegetables in the kitchen everyone in my family knows that i'm constant i'm an obsessive photographer, mm. you know so they don't even i think anymore notice you know whatever it is
2: mm.
1: uh, but having said that the interesting thing which has happened is that there's a friend of mine so sand he's a very good and very well-known poet okay he saw these photographs on instagram because he follows me and stuff he started writing poems based on the feeling that particular photograph evoked in him. And he's already done about 20-25 such poems or pieces or little short, you know, snippets. And he is actually seriously talking about doing a book. Wonderful. That seems like such a... And I told him that we will do a book, but it's there are three creators of this book. There's Sudip Sen, the poet. Mm-hmm. There's the Kanna, the photographer. But most importantly, there's Jaya, the person who is making these, you know, these canvases literally. So if there is a book, it will have all three of our names explaining exactly what each one's role is. Please consider
0: a pre-order from my side, whenever that yeah. happens.
1: It, it, it's in the process.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, for all the photography that you might have done in your life, when I, mm. when anybody utters the name Dinesh Khanna, the, the visual that I have in my mind is for chopping board
1: with cut up vegetables. I'm honest to God. I can I can understand that, but also that could possibly be because you followed me in a time when I was obsessively following the chopping board. That is, I think that is uh, the biggest. Because I tell you, I, yeah. I tend to do this obsessively. Uh, if you were following me about three four years ago on Facebook, mm-hmm. and which happens even till today, uh-huh. I was obsessively shooting kursis wherever I went. Ah, okay, okay, all right. And I actually have done a series called Kissa Kursika.
0: Yeah, I saw that.
1: Uh, and till today, people who followed me that with that at least once or twice a week, people will send me a photograph of some broken down decorative chair they've come across and say, "I saw this chair and reminded me of you."
2: Mm.
1: It's like the, the entire world chairs and they had you know belonged to me. So you know that is the difference between photography and engaging with your subject, which is more important mm. than photo leke tumne Instagram pe is there's a the thought, there's a feeling which is getting communicated and which is what gives it the power. Yeah. So it's really the idea and the concept which is far more important than the act of having you know, created a photograph.
0: I, I would agree with that actually. Um, if it's okay with you, I would like to change the topic a little regarding okay. something I am more interested about. Mm-hmm. And uh, in our previous conversation on the phone, I told you, I, I just you know mentioned it briefly that Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of fatherhood and uh, especially again a lot of the knowledge that i have about you comes from your instagram account right Mm -hmm. and you have been so descriptive about how uh, proud you are to be a father of two daughters and Mm -hmm. uh, me as a person who got married two three years back i know there will be a certain time where i'll have to start thinking of a family Uh, Mm -hmm. honestly uh, I have been very sceptical and somewhat hoped that whenever that happens, I don't end up getting a daughter. Now, this is not a very recent thought that I've had. It was when I was in 11th or 12th. And India is a country that is somewhat unsafe for women, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. there is no point uh, beating around it. And there is this cultural thing also that everybody would be happier if you have a boy. I'm talking about the Samaj and not mm-hmm. maybe not ins- uh, immediate relatives. Sure. But... I I used to feel so, I don't know what that feeling was when I saw your photos and you talking about your daughters and uh, it just felt so interesting and interesting is a very shallow word that I'm using because I don't have any other way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Could you tell me a little about that uh, and also did you have any preconceived notion that that was changed after having two daughters grow up in front of you?
1: Okay, Uh, I don't know if I'll be able to explain this but let me try uh, so i am we are three siblings i have two sisters one elder to me one younger to me and i'm the only son so and i have two daughters right so in effect my life has had has been populated by women and you know that is a very important point because what happens is uh and especially in countries like india and cultures like ours uh genders tend to congregate as genders Uh, fortunately i was brought up in a household where there was no differentiation between me and the sisters. so a lot of it has to do with my parents having you know brought that sensibility or sensitivity into me otherwise there is uh, unfortunately a tendency that the son is one is wanted two is then pampered mm-hmm. you know more than eight. yeah yeah daughters who might have been unwanted but if they came along then but weren't you know pampered to the same extent so that's something which I'm very acutely aware of and I know it happens a lot in my country and it's something which you know deeply troubles me if not you know make me feel ashamed of the fact that this is the way it is. Which is why I want to make sure that I don't be like that. Okay. Okay. For instance, one of the things I promised myself even before my daughters were born or after they were born, is that I will never tell them when asked if they can do something or go somewhere that no, you can't because you're a girl. Okay. All right. And that has been, if there's one phrase or the absence of one phrase, which is dictated how I've interacted or brought up my daughters, Mm -hmm. it's that, and I'll be the first one to admit that it's not that I've trained myself to point where that phrase does not come to my mind. Mm -hmm. It still does for all the reasons which you gave this about that india can be unsafe for women and they might be unwanted etc or you know it is my protectiveness but i make sure that i don't let them cross my lips because i don't see any reason why anyone's gender or for that matter age should be a determinant about what they can do or what they can't do Mm. one point secondly as a parent i'm very clear and Thankfully, maybe I read Khalil Gibran's uh, poem about parents, you know, many, many years ago before I became a parent, mm-hmm. where he very clearly says that your children are not yours. They pass through you. They are off the next <laughs> wow. age. Okay. All right. And I'm sorry, I'm not, you know, uh, quoting the words properly. I would uh, want to actually, but that's the... That's the essence of it. Hmm. So therefore, and like I probably uh, in the beginning of this uh, conversation did say that, you know, I hate the word allow. Hmm. Because allow is transactional. Allow means one person has the power and the other has to take permission. Hmm. Okay. I haven't allowed Myra to become a diver. Myra decided to be a diver. Hmm. I haven't allowed Myra to live in Mysore. It's her choice. It's her life. Right, I didn't allow Mahi to take up history and international relations as a subject of her choice. It's her choice. It's her life.
2: Hmm.
1: I can live my life. I have no right whatsoever, and I'm very clear about that. To live anyone else's life when dictated, hmm. and that is whether it's my children, whether it's my spouse, whether it's my siblings, whether it's my friends. It's not a very easy way to live. You have to constantly remind yourself that this is the way you want to live. Hmm. Is respect others for the individual which you are yourself too.
0: The inspiring part of this is that you know the the strictness or the restrictions that you're bringing is first to yourself.
1: It has to be It that's where it has to stem from. Yeah, yeah, um. because. If it's any other way, then as far as I'm concerned, I'm treading on someone else's domain or their toes or their area of uh, their life. And I have no right. So in
0: some cases, and I'm sure, uh, there are a lot of places where the experience of a parent or experience of a husband might be beneficial to the children or to the spouse. So how Mm. do you find that balance of how to communicate uh, where you might think that the person opposite to you might end up in a in a situation they would not like to but you can say that from your experience but you again you don't want to impose anything so how do you find that balance
1: you know like in with any good question the answer is inherent in your question itself
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is that i have experiences i've gone through various things in life did i learn from them including the negatives i did Mm -hmm. why should i rob my children from that process Mm -hmm. Of making their mistakes and you know dealing with their negatives so mm-hmm. that's one part of it mm-hmm. the other part is that yes the experiences i have i ought to share and i do share but i don't share them as instructions i mm-hmm. share them as experiences
2: mm-hmm.
1: i will not say mm-hmm. i can say mm-hmm.
0: you keep that knowledge with you and then tread your own path
1: Hmm. it's very simple actually yeah huh? it's not easy to live this way let me not mean you know in any way trivialize it
0: yeah i'm sure its it very not.
1: easy to decide these four or five rules for yourself actually that's the way i live it
0: yeah. and especially when you have to tell you know answer to someone i don't know how heavily that
1: weighs <laughs> my first reaction always is what do you mean allow who am i and then they look at <laughs> and say what do you mean allow what do you mean You know why are you asking that aren't you the parent i said yeah but i'm not the keeper i'm not the jailer i'm not the warden that's
0: being very appreciative of what you just said i'm not sure even i can promise to be like that because uh, i also have my own i'm sure i would be a restrictive father uh, when
1: i do but uh... no if you believe that then you will be but if you believe there's any sense in what i'm saying because I think what I am talking about are fairly universal truths. And that might not be the universal way of being, mm. but they are universal truths. The truth is that each individual has a right to their own life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, for instance, if I was to think that I have a right to tell my daughters what they ought to do, mm-hmm. but what if I die tonight? Mm. Then what are they supposed to do for the rest of their lives? Mm. Who do they turn to instructions? Mm. They'll have to run their own lives. Nah? Yeah. Yeah. So why why am I in any way crippling them by saying you know, I am here, I will it.
0: True. Have you tried to convince other people to you know sort of see from this perspective, or you know you're like you live your life, I will handle my family
1: how I want. And, I see a part of living this way, of thinking this way, and then living accordingly, is that I am happy to share with anyone what I think.
0: <laughs> okay, you don't want to impose but, it on anyone. <laughs>
1: you <laughs> want to take anything from it? Do if you don't, and you want to trash it, trash it. It's your choice. Yeah, it's your yeah. Life.
0: Any, any. As I asked
1: before, any preconceived notions that you had that changed after having two daughters? Very first one was that I have to tell them, you know, that you can't do this because you're a girl. Like I said, even 25 years later, the thought still crosses my mind. Nah?
0: Yeah. No, but that is not a that was not a preconceived notion. That was something that you restricted yourself to, and you know you from your own discipline you made sure that you don't go about doing that. But uh, anything that took you by surprise.
1: In the sense of how protective you do feel, irrespective in, of how mm. you want to let go, and mm, you know, okay, okay. Uh, it's it, and you know, not for a moment. I hope I'm not communicating. Then don't worry. But it's my worry. I don't need to communicate that to. To my daughters yeah the, I, I if at all communicate to them the fact that i'm concerned hmm. I think that comes from emotion rather than from proprietaryness. now there's a difference yeah. i don't want them to feel unloved but it doesn't mean that my love has to be smothering
0: i think i think your whole uh idea and ideology can be summed up in that one sentence that <laughs> i do love my daughters but my love does not need to be smothering in any case
1: not just for daughter, it's about any any relationship. Yeah, of course, of it can course. be a boss and subordinate. You yeah. extend it is it's about a human relationship hmm. where the possibility of hierarchy and therefore ownership can come into play, which hmm. unfortunately can in any human relationship. Hmm. You know, whether it's a husband, wife, whether it's a parent child, whether it's you know whether it's siblings, it's it's if you let that come in, the potential is always there. You know, between government and citizens, I mean, you name it.
0: Hmm. hmm. This uh, this next next question, you can choose not to answer it because I don't know how uh, comfortable you would be with that. And of course, I can edit edit it out if you if you say so. But uh, hmm. I, I I I wanted to ask whether you think about mortality uh, in your talk also, and even in this conversation also. You mentioned that there was this abrupt demise of your father and Mm -hmm. uh, i don't know how that impacted you it must have been a tough time for you as well but do you somewhat replay those thoughts and you know think about your daughters in some way you've already answered it that uh, you want to make your daughters you want to see them fend for themselves and Mm -hmm. you're already in the process of it but other than that do you think about mortality and you know those things
1: i don't think about it obsessively but the fact that mortality is a reality as much as my birth was is something which is very clear to me you know, if if my birth is very clear to me, in mm-hmm. spite of not having been, you know, consciously there, at least mm-hmm. in the sense, yeah, you know, or you, know, you know. None of us did that, we didn't know. Mm-hmm. So the same similarly, you know, why do we keep pushing away the fact that we're gonna die? No one's here forever. I've mm-hmm. seen enough deaths of whether it's my parents, whether it's friends, whether it's you know uh, all kinds of people, you know, that the sixty three years I've lived. Uh, to know that it's a reality. Uh, it's something which still shocks us, you know, when it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will shock me too. But will I be able to deal with it? Of course I will. Mm-hmm. It's and that probably is something which, uh, you know, losing a parent at an early age. And I was, I think, 26 or something <laughs> when my dad passed away. Mm-hmm. And also because he died in a very unnatural, you know, in a car accident. You mm-hmm. know, you don't expect it. He was all of 60 years old. I'm already three years older than he was when he passed away. Right? Mm. No? So that, that kind of abrupt ending of a life takes a long time to want to come to terms with, which I, when I look back, I realize that I've pushed it away in terms of, you know, everyday consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, it did prepare me for the fact that, look, this happens.
2: Mm.
1: And also probably is has a role to play, significant or otherwise, in my feeling that each one of us needs to be able to run our own lives you know and because over the years i've seen other friends for instance or cousins whose father stayed you know Mm -hmm. in the 80s and 60s and the father is still alive and they they talk about how they discuss this with the father and Mm -hmm. and, they asked him for their advice and you know all that stuff Mm for doing business with them etc and it i realized that you know so i haven't i Mm -hmm. haven't had the or I haven't had that opportunity, or you know, whatever you want to call it. Hmm. Uh, hmm. So this, you know, the thing of being a self-made person takes on another meaning for people like me, you know, at an early age. I understand. Uh, you know, one is being self-made because you, you know, strive to do something which you are interested in yourself. Another is being self-made also because circumstances ensure that you, you know, have to do so.
0: I was I was listening to this podcast a few days back, and it was just it was it was a scientific approach, and they were describing how humans are not engineered biologically and socially to deal with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that is how even religion comes into play because they people just want uh, want to put their faith into something that mm. just just take care of it you know we don't want to talk about it we don't want to be comfortable with that idea but uh, the incident that happened with you i think maybe w-
1: would have uh made you more uh... i don't think this may be in that at all i think it would definitely because it is a you know a life-altering enough uh, you know thing mm-hmm. to happen from one mm-hmm. at any age but uh, mm-hmm. so if it happens so even you're 26 and just starting off your own life mm-hmm. uh it does make a difference Uh, But just coming back to the use of the word uh, uncertainty, I don't see there being any uncertainty in there.
0: Exactly, exactly. No, but we call it uncertainty. All of us, you know, what will
1: happen to us, you know, whether we become famous or, you know, ill or not. Yeah, yeah. You can't be certain of those. You can be certain that you'll fucking die.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) That is actually quite ironic that the thing that is most certain in our life, we we, we tend to say, we tend to consider it the most uncertain. You know, we try to run away from it.
1: And the only reason I think for that is that, you know, that is that one certainty which we don't know what will happen post having attained that certainty.
0: Mm. And how it happens also.
1: How? You know, fear I hope I don't fall ill, you know, I hope I don't get run over. But, you know, the thing of, for instance, I will become famous and then I will do this. I'll Mm. become rich and I'll buy that car. Mm -hmm. Or if I become poor, I'll not be able to feed my family. There's always an if with that but with the certainty of death there's no and then i will you don't know what the fuck yeah yeah, yeah. And, and to my mind that's the reason we don't deal with it yeah we don't know to deal with
0: and as for many religions a lot of them also try to prepare you or in sort of uh, nudge you to form to mold your life in a sense that it would affect your afterlife Uh, The Greek concept, the whole Greek mythology is made in the sense that they considered this life as a vessel and the real life starts after death. So, I think it is just modes of, you know, to deal with this whole event. Absolutely.
1: But, you know, is it imaginative? Is it creative? Was it reality? is is still up for grabs. Yeah. It's like, for instance, in India, I think especially amongst Hindus, and being Mm -hmm. Hindu, I I can speak about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that we've been fed this line that is karm? Mm-hmm. Ah, true. true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's
1: a line which has been fed beautifully by our rulers and our religious leaders mm. to the masses so that they don't get blamed for anything. Mm. True i'm am now stretching a point but i think indian government don't get blamed for anything because i blame myself first my destiny mm-hmm. hai, yaar, you know hai, you know ye, vye, you know to to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. no problem usme, you know yeah, yeah banaras me agar banaras to yeah and, and one very blatant example of what you're saying
0: where you don't blame yourself when you say that India's ka overpopulation ka problem. You know, they just said, ki we can't do anything uh, about it. We can't do anything about it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and you understand that because whenever you question something, your first question from what I have uh, assorted right now is that you first question yourself whether uh, did you have any uh, role to play in that? Uh,
1: is that the only thing actually? Mm. The only point of control, if at all, mm. Is with your own mind and your own heart. Hmm. And I don't mean to make it sound easy. It's not that I have done it. You know, I've attained nirvana and I've been able to do it. Hmm. But I have at least attained the awareness of that. Yeah, yeah. And that is something I think all of us ought to be aware of. That look, boss, what you're doing you're doing,
0: Yeah. It's, it's the simplest of things that is the worst to explain or, you know, to actually... Uh, for a person to absorb because I my life my problems i'll be i'll be well off blaming it on some particular group rather than myself, yeah uh, so I hope it changes but uh, let 's see how the times turn out uh, one one question regarding art I had that I have been pondering over myself and no. i've not had the chance to ask it to anyone, but I think you might be a good person to uh, think about it. So uh, I saw your photo and why I'm asking you this question is because I saw that photo that you took of the Ames Square where the labor is sleeping on mm-hmm. in the lawn. Mm-hmm. So I, I started thinking that, uh, see, authorities, no matter what decision they take, right, no matter what decision, even if it is the best of decisions and sure. I have no political bias here, right, mm-hmm. whatever decision they there will be some particular person or some community or some individual who might mm-hmm. be badly affected by it. Or you know, even the byproduct, the, the side effect of it might cause something bad. You know, you make a flyover, you're going over mm-hmm. some uh, some person's, uh, some community's uh, uh, jeopardies. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. artists, artists live in a world where they are very connected to the grassroots. They're, they're connected to the world, right? Most of them. Mm-hmm. They, they observe the society, they, they hold a mirror to the society. And they are always living with the, their surroundings. They are not insulated to it. So, will it always be the case that artists and authorities, whether it be government or whether it be an institution or whether it be anything, will artists and authorities always be in conflict? It has been happening till now. Uh, maybe not during the time when the kings and queens commissioned work. Uh, but what do you think of that? Because I have never seen artists, you know, have a chain key sleep there's always something bothering them, and rightly
1: so. Uh, I think it's in the nature of the job. And I'm yeah. using the word job. What uh, is so your job? I'm an artist. What is your job? I'm a government. What is your job? a bank clerk. What is your job? a driver. In the nature of the job is exactly what you're saying. If I'm an artist, then mm-hmm. the package comes with concern. Uh, and it's not necessarily, and I, and I want to make that point very clear, uh, not concerned enough to necessarily give up my life for the good of others. Mm. But yes, be aware of what is missing in other people's lives and bring that point up at times. So that difference is there. And uh, as far as uh, political leadership is concerned, inherent in that is that I know the answer. I have seen the light. I'll show you the way. Uh, if you're able to understand that that is where that person is coming from and think that person is right, Then where is the conflict? What we think is that you know we expect a political leader who says I have the answers and I'll show you the way Uh should also be able to say, but I am also very concerned about you. You know what? Tell me what is your problem. Hmm. True. True.
0: But, in this case, I'm not very con- concerned about the efficiency or the efficacy or the administrative prowess of any sort of authority. I'm just asking about this relationship will Will it be ever the case where artists would be proud of of any authority in that manner I, I'm sure the artists in Scandinavian countries are also critiquing their own governments and we're taking governments because it's a uh, low hanging fruit you can you know you can take those examples very easily uh
1: they are artists, whether they're writers or painters or you know whatever they might be uh-huh. Who, because of their voice, become a part of the ruling clique hmm. in a particular time in any country or in any society, uh-huh. uh, where that sense of power then you know takes away from the fact that they are artists of concern. So they still might be artists in the sense of having a great uh, control of the craft which they are uh, you know involved with, uh, but have the power of a politician or a, or a leader it's it's a you know none of these things are boxes you know all the edges are permeable
0: yeah these are all yeah edges of you know seamless edges of we don't know yeah. where it converts I mean, to all what all,
1: the edges you know are permeable you know they go into the next mm-hmm. and they mix to the next and they leak into the next and yeah. i think the problem is there where we start looking at everything as a very finite definitive mm-hmm. uh, which is not so you know an artist for instance who gets famous and makes a lot of money mm-hmm. uh stops being so concerned he's, he's more concerned about you know the next million they'll get from their you know canvas rather than and is is quite likely to paint a canvas which shows the lachari of someone still if that's been there what they've been doing mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. oh,
0: Correct. I had, I had sort of predicted that you would be a person who would, who would take into account the nuances, a person who would say that things are permeable and, and I'm happy <laughs> that we, uh, we, we have no black and white going on over here. And I, I love these sort of conversations, you know, whether both the speakers are receptive of the fact that, first of all, uncertainty, as we talked about, and secondly, mm-hmm. of you know, not knowing where the edge ends and where something else starts.
1: How boring would I be if you know you could define everything about me and expect that this do all the time with people we encounter and meet? So that's 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 again human, right? yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: so one thing I wanted to ask, and I, I I want to ask this to every person who have had some experience in their life. So the youth of today feels that. Uh, even me included, we feel that the, there is a state of emergency in the country or in the world that we need to change the world. But mm-hmm. has it always been like that? Because from what I've read and what I've seen, every generation thinks that they are going to be the generation that makes the change. And they mm-hmm. sometimes they do end up do, making the change, but then it again, the equilibrium is reached and then again there is some other problem that arises. So is this conflict eternal?
1: I think it's the human condition for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always this feeling that things can be better. Uh and inherent in that is that things were better earlier Hmm.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Uh,
1: you know and which comes from the uh, fact that human beings are conscious are questioning uh, you know do wonder do aspire do complain Hmm. it's in what to do with that that, that's that's our package that's what we are Hmm. Uh, so in that it's bound to be so also societies and cultures are cyclical currently the cycle in india and in some countries of the world mm-hmm. is where one particular ruling elite has lost its power mm-hmm. and another one has discovered it mm-hmm. and is using it in the you know in its more crudest form possible of expressing that power rather than mm-hmm. expressing the responsibility which comes with that power mm-hmm. Uh, to my mind, that is something which you learn with time, or not learn with time. Because then you get thrown over. Mm-hmm. If you do learn that in time, then uh, then you stay on longer. Uh, India definitely is going through that uh, mm-hmm. process, and I think India is finally meeting its own destiny in a way. Uh, and if you see the last few decades or the last few centuries, it was leading to where we are at the moment. I mean, there is no two ways about it. I mean, normally, the way I, I, the way I argue with my friends is that, you know, what's happening today actually should have happened in the 50s or 60s. Because by now, you know, the equilibrium between, you know, people who think that this is our, my country and I've not been allowed it, uh, would have been played out. It's playing out 70 years later. Hmm. There's, you know, in that time, there's a whole lot of, of resentment and... You know, bickering, which is also accumulated, mm. you know, which is cancerous. Mm-hmm. That's what's showing up at the moment. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you have you thought about it or observed, or do you think that conflict has actually increased? And it, it could be mental conflict. It it need not be physical violence. Do you think that the conflict in the country has actually increased, or has the technology enabled uh, all sorts of conflict to reach to the viewer very easily? Uh, consequently. Uh, Making the uh, viewer think that the things are atrocious right now. Because I remember my father telling me in my own hometown, I'm from a very small town in Madhya Pradesh called Mahu, uh, near Indore. Uh, He used to tell me that, and it is a cantonment. uh, He used to tell me, and he was a press photographer that time. So, Uh he keeps telling me stories about how there used to be incredible communal violence. uh, Mm. Every other month. Right. So... What do you think about that? I have no answers right now because obviously I have not lived such a time scale, but I would like to know from your uh, perspective.
1: I have a feeling that just because we are able to or we have allowed a lot more voices mm-hmm. uh, to come into our mind through obviously the technology or the means of communication which are available today, mm-hmm. uh, and we've opened ourselves to it and therefore succumbed to that cacophony, mm-hmm. is what makes us feel that, you know, things are really crazy and falling apart. For instance, I very consciously took a decision that I will not watch TV news wow. about a year and a half or more ago, and I've <laughs> not switched on the television. Mm. And I promise you, I feel that the world is a bit calmer mm. than it was when I was watching at least certain kind of news channels. Mm-hmm. Right, And I can still see the perception of what's happening today the difference between some of my friends who follow those religiously mm-hmm. and the fact that i don't even know what the hell is happening on those mm. uh, and my information if at all is coming more from a newspaper which i read at my own pace mm-hmm. and talk mm-hmm. with my own ability mm-hmm. you know which is critical mm. uh, which television news the way it's got constructed in india is not doing it's it's mm-hmm. you know it's force feeding you so that's i think is the difference so the reality of the perception that things are terrible Mm. okay and i'm using these words very carefully the reality of the perception that things are terrible
2: Mm.
1: is Mm. for anyone who opens themselves to that
2: Mm.
1: as much as my reality and my perception that things are calmer and quieter Mm -hmm. is real for me Mm. see at the end of the day you live within your own circle now within your own home and your friends and, yeah. you know, your business or your profession. Yeah. Uh, and if I don't let the news of what's happening now in Bihar and West Bengal, where the elections coming up, so therefore, you know, what the TV channels are saying is happening between these parties who are warring over the votes, hmm. uh, it doesn't affect me that much. Yeah.
0: That is why I keep, I'm so concerned about the world of social media because uh, we have our separate avenues for receiving information. But right now, Uh, and even me I am able to distance myself from those platforms very easily but even they are promoting a lot of voices they are promoting some good voices also who are very rational and provide both the sides but it has gotten very difficult for uh, people to distance themselves from sources of rampant information whether good or bad so it is just it just burdens the mind of my friends but when I there
1: is something which I have done and I I'm just sharing that as an experience not as a you know Something which I'm holding up as a flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to, for instance, post a lot of political things that had to do with my political beliefs mm-hmm. but, or what I thought was worthy of discussion. But I found that they half the time degenerated into tutu memes. Mm-hmm. So over the last one or two years, I have consciously stopped posting anything political. And my posts, if you follow me, you'll notice almost entirely to do with photography or things related to. Mm -hmm. And therefore social media does not control my political thinking and therefore doesn't influence me and doesn't make me think, you know, that so-and-so is right or so-and-so is wrong or so-and-so is good and so-and-so is bad.
0: And another thing that you mentioned that I also found very important and something that I can relate to also is that if, when I close these things and walk out of my own house, talk to my own neighbours, talk to my own community, everything seems fine. That does not that does not mean that everything is fine in the country. But if I can just take care of my immediate environment, I think that makes a lot of difference on a larger scale.
1: If, Look, at the end of the day, every society is made of what? Yeah. So, and so if you Permeates downwards and it also then expands upwards. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, you know, unless I become a hermit and say I am going to be affected by what's happening around me. Na? Yeah, yeah. If not by political violence and by inflation, you know, if not by inflation, by something else. Yeah. So you're, you're not, dis- but how much and what affects you, there is at least some modicum of control which you can exercise there. Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, having some sort of a human interaction, other than an interaction through a screen, there is just something about it that that is reassuring on some level that I feel, because yeah. uh, once it started with the TV, right, concentrating families into their own homes, and now I have seen that it is very difficult for communities. They still do, but it is very rare to see uh, uh, children of my age, twenty-five, twenty-six year old, playing cricket. You know, th- hordes of them. Uh, yeah. It is. It is rare. Uh, it still happens, but uh, uh, the, all the interaction has taken, replaced by digital interaction. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how that would affect on a longer term on the human mind,
1: but that is an observation. But that I, you I said, you know, I mean, that these changes started happening from the time the phone first came in. Huh? Mm-hmm. You know, so, earlier you could not talk to that uh, Masi who lived in New York. Yeah? <laughs> yes. And because of the phone, you were able to at least once in a while. And but it was still too expensive to be able to do it more than once, six months. Yes. Now, with FaceTime, you can talk anytime you want. Yeah. But you can talk so easily that you don't actually talk for six months. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, that's the irony of it. It's just that, you know, Jitna karna, hi karte, equilibrium ban jata hai. Why?
0: Because of the technology having so many contacts, I feel I've ended up talking to even fewer people than I might have in earlier. So anyway, I think, as with the last question,
1: the whole conversation has been very interesting to me, Dinesh. I am very happy to have these kind of discussions and uh, especially if, you know, both people talk openly, frankly, about what they think. And Mm -hmm. even if they think differently, not to be acrimonious about it. And as I'm concerned, that's all there is to it. Yeah.
0: So uh, I I hope I can talk to you sometime again. Uh, and let's have a human interaction sometime you
1: know i will definitely make it a point
0: take it thank you take care Uh, and again thank you for being on the ps podcast